So, Father, we commend him to you. We pray you would anoint him with a double portion of your Holy Spirit. And as we continue to worship you by hearing your word, we pray that your spirit will be free to move amongst us and do the things he wants to do. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Oh, he's testing my knees there, wasn't he? I'll give you a moment to let the accent settle in. He was testing me knees there, wasn't he? There we go. If you don't know me, my name is Nick Johnson. Uh, Twelve years ago today, I had my last service at King's Church Amersham. So if you don't know me, that's not surprising, because that's a long time, isn't it? I had no grey hair. You've heard that already, I know. I had no grey hair. Paul, brother... He's a blondie, he'd be alright, won't he? He'd just suddenly morph into Lammy at some point. <laughs> it is, uh, it's lovely to be with you. Uh, I'm here with Ange, my wife, and uh, Harry, my youngest son. You yeah, can give him a round of applause if you want. Be... <laughs> Harry's, uh, Harry's about to do his GCSEs. That's makes some of you go, what? Uh, our eldest son, Jack, is 22. He's at St Andrews uh, doing a Master's in Divinity and living in denial that he'll ever be a pastor. <laughs> no, 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 I'm going to get a proper job. Yeah, we'll watch that one. Kate is 20. She's off to YWAM Perth in June uh, to do a DTS in music and worship. And, uh, and we are thriving in the north. <laughs> it, is, it is a real thing. Uh, thanks so much for inviting us. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. Thanks, Paul, for giving me a passage on the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> you know when your friends kind of go, oh, well, we'll get our own back for all those years, you know. It's Easter. I could have had Palm Sunday. It's Easter. I could have had the resurrection. It's Easter. Give him the perusia. See what he does with that. So let's see what we do. We're going to read uh, some little excerpts from Mark 13. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones, you can uh, can open your phones and look at something else if you want to. uh, Or you can open your Bible to it. And we're going to read a couple of excerpts uh, from Mark 13. It's quite a long passage. It's quite a complex passage. But as uh, as we've already prayed this morning, Jesus is here, right? And he wants to speak to us. He's got something to say. And what he's got to say to us is good. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many when when you hear of wars and rumours of wars. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Just spot that church. It's not the end, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. 
and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to, or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Oh, shall we pray? <laughs> Jesus, we pray that you would open your word to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the way you've already been speaking to us in worship. And Lord, we pray as we continue in worship that you would continue to speak your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. It's a cracker, isn't it, that, hey? Fantastic. It's got everything, hasn't it? That, that, those few verses of Mark 13 have got everything. They've got prophecy, ambiguity, tension, violence, a returning northern hero. I don't know if you've noticed that, but often the heroes do come from the north. Eleven disciples, only one was from the south. Geographically and theologically accurate. And, and I'll go now. Anyway, it's been lovely to be with you. Sorry. And an uncertain yet glorious future. This story that Jesus tells, this, this word that Jesus brings has got everything but it is really really complicated really complicated in in a different life um 25 years ago i left the nhs i trained as a nurse i trained as a children's nurse and and then i left all that glamour behind to become a youth pastor and then a pastor and i remember doing my um, my uh, adult nurse training and i was in accident and emergency and one early one sunday morning about eight o'clock sunday morning the shift hadn't been on very long and this man comes in and he's got this terribly swollen hand. He's been uh, playing bass in a pub band the night before. And, he's had, and after the band had finished, he's had far too many sherbets. He's had a bit too much to drink. And as he's walked out of the pub, he's stumbled and fallen. And he's put his hand out to stop himself. And he's fallen on a cactus. Immediately, some of you are going, why has the pub got a cactus? I, I don't know why. I'm just a student nurse who meets this man on the Sunday morning. He's gone home drunk and, and with spikes all in his hand. His wife's really cross with him. She's took a pair of nail scissors and she's clipped off all the spikes. And when he's fallen asleep in his drunken stupor, she's took an electric razor and shaved the ends off. This is absolutely true. This poor man comes in the next day, horribly hungover, with a massively swollen hand with 30, 35, 40 little pieces of cactus in his hand. 
the consultant on duty is very interested for five seconds and goes, oh, get the staff nurses to pick them out. The staff nurses, the staff nurses go, oh, who's the lowliest student nurse? Anyway, so I spent three hours <laughs> picking out the little, little spikes. This is Mark 13. We need to do some unpicking. It is not easy to get hold of because as Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's talking about all sorts of stuff at the same time. If you know anything about Mark's gospel, it is probably the simplest gospel. It is written with action. It is written to grab you. And Mark could so easily have gone, oh, we'll just kind of make this a bit simpler. And the reason he doesn't is because this is Jesus speaking. And he's heard this word before. And so as Jesus speaks, we need to kind of get hold of what it is that he is saying. He's saying three different things. The first thing he's saying is this. He's saying that the the fall of Jerusalem will happen. It happens in AD 70. In AD 70, the Romans come and they totally destroy Jerusalem. The the Jews have been uh, revolting for a while, careful, and and it's, it's been pretty grim for a long time. This is AD 33 when Jesus prophesies this. And if you're a little bit of a skeptical minded person, you might go, well, you know, perhaps this was written after the fact. Book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul quotes Mark 13. Uh, Paul was dead in AD 64, so that was written well before the fall of Jerusalem. We know that this is an accurate prophecy that Jesus brings. It's got historical reality. That's important for us as followers of Jesus, isn't it? That as we meet people in work who go, your Bible, fashion loony. They say, actually, I missed you. <laughs> your Bible bashing loon, you can say, actually, what I believe has historical merit. What I believe is concrete. You know, of course there's faith, of course there's supernatural Holy Spirit, way. But actually, bottom line is, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. You need to find Jesus. And here he is bringing this historical reality of a prophecy. He also brings this daily reality of a prophecy. You might have had a little bit of inconvenience of being a Christian in this nation. You might have found it a little bit difficult, a little bit embarrassing uh, to talk about Jesus. But actually our brothers and sisters in the world right now are being beaten, raped, abducted, persecuted every single day. And Jesus, as he speaks this over his boys, he is not just saying, this is you. You'll have to face the courts. You'll have to face the difficulties. You'll have to face the challenges. He's bringing a reality of a word to the church right now. Don't be surprised if it gets worse in Britain. And, and don't, you know, hope for it either. But don't be surprised if it gets worse in Britain. Because there is something going on in our world. And the church of Jesus Christ is growing. It's growing in Britain again. Stop reading the Daily Mail. It's growing in Britain again. It is. I'm serious. Some of, those, some of the, the news that we hear constantly is the church is dead, the church is dead, the church is dead. Just look around you for a second. Go on, have a look. Look behind you. Look how dead it looks. I mean, it's Easter weekend. You should all be at the caravan. <laughs> Praise God. The church in Britain is growing again. It's good. I mean, you wouldn't fit in that little old place down the road now, would you? Beautiful. We had to move out of our building six years ago because we can't fit in our church building. We're in a school every week because 
God is doing something. But as God does something, the enemy does something too. I know you saw Michael Palin uh, doing his tour of North Korea. And he gets off the train in North Korea. And the one question they ask him is this, have you got a Bible? Michael Palin is going, what would I have a Bible for? <laughs> like he, he didn't get it. You can take any book you like, I think, in the North Korea, but you can't take the Bible. Why? Because it's dynamite. It's life-giving. It's hope-giving. It's world-changing. Jesus is speaking about historical reality and the fall of Jerusalem. He's talking about daily reality for Christians everywhere. And he's talking about a future reality. I will come again. And we could get really stuck into I will come again. But actually what Jesus is really saying is, how does this affect you? Where is your heart this morning? That's what he's saying to his four disciples as they sit on that beautiful hill looking at this incredible building. If you go to Jerusalem now, it's not so incredible that the, the, the Temple Mount is empty. But, we, but in their day, this is Herod's Temple. It was a wonder of the world. You'd have taken your youth group to see Herod's Temple. It was incredible. It was a beautiful place. The, the Roman historian Josephus says that the gold panels were so bright that if you got there early in the morning as the sun rose, you would be blinded with the sight of the gold. And the walls were so white as you walked towards Jerusalem. It was like snow had fallen. Oh, you want to go there, don't you? It sounds amazing. And if you are a Jewish person, this is the center of your world. In fact, this is the light of the world. That's what they call the temple. The light of the world. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is going to get knocked down. This is going to go. And where is your heart? Is your heart in this building this morning? Is your heart in the stuff that you own? Is your heart in your skiing holiday? Can't believe your knees can still do it, brother. <laughs> is your heart in the stuff you've got? Or is your heart with me? That's what Jesus is asking. He's speaking to these disciples because they have grown up with this idea that they are God's chosen people, the elect. And, and that idea has filtered into the church quite strongly over the last 2,000 years. We have a holy people, a royal priesthood. We are chosen. But if we're not careful, we start getting a bit forgetted about that. And Jesus is saying to these fellas, where is your heart because all of this is going to go. That is what gets Jesus crucified. Not him walking around saying, I am God. That doesn't get you crucified. That gets you locked up. In every generation. But when he walks around saying, I'm going to knock this place down. Now that is serious. Because these people love the temple. It is the, the, the personification of God on earth. And Jesus comes and goes, no, actually, that's me. And this place is going to go. He's asking us, where is our heart? Is our heart in a building? Is our heart in a profession? Is our heart in a job? Or is our heart in Jesus? The author and perfecter of your soul. Some of you uh, might have faced or be facing retirement. You know it can be really difficult. I I'm not, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but it'll come, won't it? And often men lose their way, women lose their way, because they're going, this, I know what I do, and what I do is so important. When I lose what I do, I'll lose myself. Work on that now before it hits you. Because what the Lord is saying to you is you are more than what you do. You are more than a place. You are more than a building. Jesus says to his guys, and when this happens, when the, when the Romans come, 
when the temple falls down, I want to give you some advice. Run. You know, Christians are often told to stand, aren't we? But a couple of times in Scripture, we are told to run. You don't have to be the fastest. Just be fastest than the last guy. <laughs> that guy who's fallen over there, he's doomed, isn't he? You don't have to outrun the bear. Just outrun the other fella. And you'll be all right. I know here Jesus is not talking about his second coming. I know he's not because he says, don't go back for a coat. Don't go back for your Bible. Don't go back for your car. Don't go back for your stuff. Well, if this was Jesus coming back, he wouldn't be going back anywhere, would you? Are you convinced? You wouldn't be going back anywhere, would you? So he's talking here about when destruction comes, when difficult things come. You, sometimes you need to flee. Christians, sometimes we need to run away. Sometimes we need to get out of here. He's saying, put your hope in me. If all these things are stripped away, put your hope in me. When cancer and death and divorce and unemployment come, put your hope in me. When the temple is destroyed, put your hope in me. And because they do, the church survives. Read Acts, that's the next, that's the next bit. Off the go. When the persecution comes, the church thrives. Tertullian says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We so often pray to get out of trouble. But often, I think the word from God is pray that he be with you in the trouble. Isn't it? Will you be with me, Lord, where I am? There is this, there is this strong word from Jesus. Where's your heart? And he starts then to talk about the next, the next bit. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? And he starts talking about coming again. He's talking about coming again before he's gone the first time. That's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because he's still walking around. He's still you know, flesh and blood. He hasn't left yet. But he's talking about coming again. And it's such a, a, a challenging thing for us as the church because it is not a side issue in the scriptures 17 times the word parousia meaning the return of jesus the word just means return but 17 times it's used in the context of the return of jesus and if you add on to that things like the day of the lord it is a popular idea in the new testament and throughout the centuries it's kind of waxed and waned with christians and i think right now it's on the wane we're not we're not so keen on talking about the second coming of jesus because we don't want to sound like we're nutters do we is that, is that fair? But you are nutters. You are. You are aliens in this world. Embrace it. Let's, get all, let's, let's have the whole lot, shall we? Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Where is your hope? Jesus says this incredible thing. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation... Then you'll know. It's a bit of a mouthful, that, isn't it? The abomination that causes desolation. The abomination that causes desolation is, is spoken about in Daniel and the book of Maccabees. And uh, as good Protestants, most of you probably haven't read the book of Maccabees. Sometimes between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New, there are these Jewish writings. It's called the Apocrypha. If you're a Catholic, you'll have that in your Bible. You might have heard over the centuries that God didn't speak for 400 years. Have you heard that? What sort of God is that? It's not my God. 
My God speaks every day. That's one of the reasons I'm a believer in Jesus. He speaks to me. He says, don't do that. (laughs) Do that. Put that down. Flee from that. Flee towards that. He speaks to me all the time. He spoke to me yesterday night from the mouth of your senior pastor. Surely that should encourage you. As I prepared this message, I just wrote on my bit of paper, it's all about Jesus. Because I'm like, what am I doing with this, Lord? It's all about Jesus. And as Paul and I were talking last night, he goes, well, Nick, just remember, it's all about Jesus. Oh, that's a little confirmation, isn't it? That's what, you, that's what we're looking for. Jesus uses this guy's name. Well, he talks about this person that the, the Maccabees and that Daniel say is, the, is this, this evil person, the abomination that causes desolation. His name in, in history is Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, that, that means God before you. That's a little hint there. So Jesus is talking about somebody who's already been. He's, he's been dead at least 100 years by the time of Jesus. He's talking about somebody who's already been, but he's also talking about the future. And we need to get hold of that. Because for lots of us, we'll be influenced by the idea that the Antichrist, he doesn't use that word, but that's what he's talking about. The Antichrist, the baddie, the really evil one, is this person or that person or that person. Mark does this really odd little thing as he, uh, as he, writes, his, um, as he writes his gospel. He has this little phrase, when you picked it up, let the reader understand. He's not talking about the modern 21st century person who can read. He's talking about the person who's reading this to the church, to the ecclesia, to the, to the, in the synagogue. He's saying, as you read this out, make sure you get the tense right. Because the tense of this is not a thing, but a person. So Jesus is using a historical figure to say another Figure, figures are coming that will be bad news for the world. He's not talking about one person. He's talking about a historical recurrence of those who stop people coming to Jesus. That is what Antichrist means. Who stops you getting to Jesus? Who stops the world getting to Jesus? Shall we pick one? Let's pick one this morning. He's my favourites. They're not really my favourites. But all of these, if you do a little Google, are the Antichrist. Prince Charles. He seems like the most benign one, doesn't he? Prince Charles is the Antichrist. The orange fellow with the floppy hair. He is clearly uh, the Antichrist. Barack Obama, with his fantastic marriage and his high moral values, is clearly the Antichrist. Pope Leo X, he was Martin Luther's Pope. He was clearly the Antichrist. Every single American president since Gerald Ford, sorry, since Roosevelt has been called the Antichrist, except Gerald Ford. Does that make me feel sorry for Gerald Ford? I thought I might start a little Instagram, you know, what's it called? What's that thing called? Internet. Internet kind of trolling campaign. Let's get Gerald Ford as the Antichrist. Who's with me? You can pick people because you don't like their policies. Michael Crouch, I'll be happy to see I didn't put Mrs. Thatcher up there. <laughs> but in my generation in the northeast and, and in the city I live in right now in Liverpool, she's still not she's still not honoured in any sense. We can easily pick people. But what is what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the one that comes and stops his people meeting him. So Kim Jong un is an antichrist. 
because he prevents the people of North Korea meeting Christ. Do you get that? It's not about politics. I'm not, and I'm not saying, by the way, that at some point in the future some great big baddie might appear like from those Left Behind books. You know. <laughs> Did you read those Left Behind books? Some of you, you could hear the cash cow mooing on the horizon, couldn't you? I'm up to chapter, uh, I'm up to book 15, I'm only to Revelation 3. Give us a break, will you? The issue for us is not actually the future. It's right now. It's right now. Jesus is saying, where is your hope? Because our hope is in him. And that Jesus is the hope of the world. And we need to cling to that as Christians and we need to share that with those around us. People need to know that Jesus is the hope of the world. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on a sunny day probably in Jerusalem. He's not trying to freak them out. He's not trying to give them conspiracy theories. He's not trying to get them to start guessing who the worst person is ever. And if you look through the history of the church, I love a bit of church history. If you look through the history of the church, you will see the church has identified particular individuals who were clearly the Antichrist. And you can't say they were wrong. Because Jesus' idea is this, that you will face opposition over and over and over again. But I am coming back. And it's all about your view. It's all about your view. Christians, we can get, fall into this idea. We can fall into this stuff where we're, we're, we're caught up in these little side issues, if you like. But the big thing is it's all about Jesus. He is the hope of the world. He is coming back. We know he's coming back because he says, all these things will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If you have the Jehovah's Witnesses at your door later, and they say to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, after you stop laughing, that's <laughs> a, really a really good response. <laughs> oh, come on! And you kind of go, let's just open. Just basically open anywhere in the Gospels and go, there it is. When Jesus says, these words of mine will not pass away, it's a direct claim to divinity. What words do not pass away? The words of the Torah. Whose are the words of the Torah? They are the words of Yahweh, the Almighty God. Whose words do not pass away? Only God's words do not pass away. When Jesus says, my words do not pass away, he is saying, I am? This side is much better than that side. (laughs) We'll try it again. He's saying, I am? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Where is your hope? If it's not in Jesus then it is fruitless. Life is hard. Life is hard. For every single person on this planet, life is hard. I would rather suffer with him than without him. Where is your harvest? I thought I'd go a little bit Baptist this morning. See all those H's? You spot that? Sometimes we're so busy looking up, we forgot to look out. We need to see the world as Jesus sees the world. 1988, Edgar Wisner wrote this very, very, uh, it was amazing. If anybody's got a copy, I would love a copy. It's 40 something pounds on Amazon. Well, this, I thought, I'm not paying that. <laughs> Still tight, see? <laughs> 88 reasons while the rapture will happen in 88. Who missed it? <laughs> he, he, he revised it to 89. <laughs> Absolutely true. 
absolutely true. Right, this is really important. Jesus says, no one knows the day or the time, not even the angels, not even the Son, except, no one except the Father. Right? And then we get, Edna Wiseman was not a loon. He was not a loon. He was a NASA mathematician and follower of Jesus. He wasn't just some crummy lunatic on the edges of civilization. But he thinks he knows more than Jesus. He does. And when you think you know more than Jesus, you are wrong. And, you, and he's going to make you look really stupid. Isn't he? There are those who say, well, we don't know the day or the time, but we can guess, guess the month. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it, because we've become, we've become about that rather than about that. Jesus says, look out. These things will happen. You can trust it. These things will happen. Jesus is coming. But until he comes, you have got a job to do. Have we got time for an Emo Phillips joke? There's always time for an Emo Phillips joke, isn't there? I don't know if you know Emo. He's a bit of a depressed New York um, comedian. And uh, he says, this this actually is the, it it won the best religious joke of all time. I mean, I don't think it's that funny, but you know, just set himself up for a fall there. Emo Phillips, best religious joke of all time. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. I said, what franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region or Northern Conservative Great Lakes Region? He says, he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) The Perusia, the second coming of Jesus is not a side issue, but it is not the issue. The issue is we live in a world that needs Jesus. And we need to be those who are bringing in the harvest. Jesus says this will not happen till all have heard. Till the gospel has been preached through the whole world. It's really interesting the use of the word elect in, this, in Mark 13. Because when he starts talking about the elect, he seems to be talking about the Jewish people. And when he finishes talking about the elect... He seems to be talking about the whole world that has come to know Jesus. And we're seeing God break in in amazing ways in our nation. You know, the Iranian church is bursting at the seams in in Liverpool. Congregation after congregation. People coming here. One of my friends actually works for the Home Office and he does the interviews. Uh, and he says, you know, it's almost a sh- or has almost been a shoe in. I know there's been some press about this. If you come and say you are Christian, coming from Iran, we almost always let them in, almost always. But of course then they get put with an Iranian Christians and they meet Jesus. 
I've got a friend who's a pastor in Birmingham. He's an Iranian. Iranian pastor became a follower of Jesus from a Muslim background. He said his son-in-law, he wasn't his son-in-law at the time, came to him, said, uh, said he was a Christian. Razor was like, yeah, of course you are. Got him into Bible study, got him to church. Six months later, he came and says, Pastor, I need to confess something. I wasn't a Christian. Razor goes, I know. <laughs> he says, but I want to become one. Razor goes, I know. <laughs> the, the, the word of God is going out there. And we've got our part to play, haven't we? Yes. In little old Amisham on the hill. Hey, what an amazing sending church. What an amazing place to be. I mean, there's times in my last 12 years when you guys kept me afloat. Those early years of trying to change church culture. Oh, that is hard. Church I lead was brethren. I know. (laughs) When the first call was answered, I'm not going back to the brethren. 12 years later, it is an amazing place to be. It's an amazing church to be in. But in those early years, we'd come back here and just go on my knees again. Don't lose that. You are here for the harvest. You're not here for your spangly building. You're not here for your incredibly grey hairless senior pastor. <laughs> You're not here for the murder and bonmouth guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was me Paul Lynch impression. <laughs> Shall I do it again for you? Yeah. Murder in bonmouth. He never says murder. I know, but it sounds like he should. <laughs> Sorry. He's not even here to be... To, I shouldn't be rude to him. This is what I believe. I believe that every single one of us needs to be talking to people about Jesus. Every single one of us. And God has really put that on my heart. Because as a, as, a, as a professional, religious person, it's easy not to do that, believe it or not. It's easy to preach the message and then... Batten down the hatches when you get home. So me and my friend Martin, we, we felt God's calling, to, calling us to, to working class men. Working class men are some of the hardest, especially working class white men, some of the hardest people to reach. But that is my background. That, that's where I come from. And, and I also like beer. And so I've got this fantastic advantage with the working class men of Liverpool because they also like beer. And so we, Martin and I have started to pray. We started to pray that, we, that God would show us where to go. And we, we'd almost revved ourselves up to actually going out and talking to somebody about Jesus. When we had a 24-7 prayer thing in our church, and this lady brought this word about uh, Jesus being the hope and the anchor. <laughs> For those of you not from this culture... The Hope and Anchor is a very popular name of a pub. And we just look at each other across the room going, oh, he's just nobbled us, hasn't he? And so uh, there isn't a pub called the Hope and Anchor in Garston. Garston, where we live, is we live in a lovely tree-lined, suburban, posh bit, but it's not all posh. And uh, so we, we prayed, uh, we met together, we prayed, we prayed as we walked, and we started going to a pub called the Dealer's Arms. Oh, Yeah. I mean, it's got a historical name, but it fits the name right now. Like, the first time we went in, you can sense the people looking at us going, he's too short to be undercover, and he's too old. <laughs> but that's what they're looking at. What, who are these two? And uh, we haven't had a Jesus conversation yet, but the last time we left the pub, the, the, the posse at the end of the bar goes, Night, lads. See you later. Good to see you. Oh, 
It's breakthrough. This week they're getting palm crosses. <laughs> As I out myself, here I am. I'm a follower of Jesus because he is the hope of the world. He's the hope of the world. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word that it is irremovable, that it is rock solid, that it will not disappear. Lord, thank you for you, Jesus, that you are alive and speaking. And Lord, I pray today, uh, for this week, Lord, I pray you would bring us into the right people, into the right conversations. Lord, keep us away from the wrong people and the wrong places. But Lord, give us opportunity just to say, you know what? I know life's a mess, but I trust Jesus. Lord, help us to be uh, the hands and feet of the gospel. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. We, uh, uh, at the lane, we ask two questions every Sunday morning. Uh, What is God saying and what are you going to do about it? Thanks, Nick. I'm going to try. I'm going to. Um, we're going to worship again in a second. Um, I just want to try and set something up before we do that. So there are three people, uh, three very reliable people, have come to see me just before Nick spoke. Uh, it was Colin, Neil, and Paul. Uh, and if I mash together uh, what they said, uh, I'm sure that you can make some sense of this. So one of the words was. Um, What kind of volcano are you? Are you dormant? Are you puffing out a bit of smoke? Uh, Or are you fully inactive and are you you, um, taking from what's underneath and and bringing it out into the open? What kind of volcano are you? Uh, There was a word, a warning, if you like, uh, about um, sitting on the terraces, watching what's going on, uh, rather than becoming involved. Uh, And there was a question. Um, We're singing about needing God's presence why do I need God's presence? Uh, and I think Nick uh, has spoken into that very, very aptly and very succinctly. So thank you for that. Um, so what I would like to do is I would like us to worship now uh, or in just a minute or two. And as we do, uh, I'd like the prayer ministry team, well, I'm not sure if we've ever asked you to do this before, um, but maybe you could get yourselves in a little group up at the back somewhere, not because they're special people, but because their heart is for us to hear God today. For whether we're feeling the sentence of death, whether we're feeling great, whether we're feeling good, uh, whatever we're feeling, whatever we have in front of us, whether we're fearful, uh, whether we're afraid, uh, when Jesus asks a question about your heart, he's not doing it to condemn us, he's doing it to say, would you like it to change? Here's the opportunity. So as we worship, I'd like the prayer ministry team just to congregate in a little group at the back, please, just over there. And I'd love you to pray for us that as we worship, we would hear what God has to say for us as individuals. Because today he is holding out his hand. His hand is open and it's up to us
to receive what he has. Whether that means giving something up to him, putting something into his hand, whether it's taking something from his hand, I don't know. That's between you and God. But as we worship, prayer ministry team are good at not moving. So prayer ministry team, please, would you move? They're great guys, these, and they've been praying for us this morning. Um, so if you hear God speaking to you, and I expect that he will, uh, if you, if you talk to the prayer ministry team, if you talk to somebody else and seal that with them, that God has spoken to you, um, don't be embarrassed to do that. that so that, that, that they, the prayer ministry team are prepared for this. Um, 